Um, Dr. Bino, welcome. Um, it's you. a pleasure mm. to have you here today. Um, allow me to briefly also um, introduce for our audience uh, a quick summary of what we're going to be discussing today. It's going to be a very interesting uh, discussion, I, I, I bet on that. But uh, uh, allow me to just uh, summarize that um, uh, what we're having today as a first in a series of podcasts uh, will be um, a discussion um, aiming to highlight different aspects of wildlife conservation through interviews with guests like you uh, from a variety of backgrounds that actively work and support conservation efforts. And um, certainly the topic will be conservation in Albania and the role of civil society organizations. And I know before jumping into the roughly six important topics that we structured uh, for this conversation and discussion today, it would be nice also for the audience to have a, um, a quick um, a summary of um, who Dr. Bino is and allow me to do that for you, uh, Dr. Bino. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's always a pleasure to, to, to talk uh, about um, uh, people like you dedicating um, many years of uh, their life uh, in their profession. Uh, I know we had a big discussion about making this uh, um, bio shorter for you, and I fight hard to actually keep some of the most important topics in place. So let me just uh, uh, summarize and say that uh, you have had um, a, a PhD, got a PhD in biology and evolution and ecology at Montpellier II University. And you have over 30 years of experience in the field of natural protection, and especially in the study of conservation of wild birds and their critical habitats. You're an experienced biologist, ornithologist, scientific researcher, a lecturer, and a former decision maker in the field of environmental protection. Your work experience extends to Albania as well as other Balkan countries, including neighboring Kosovo and Montenegro. Founder of Albanian Ornithological Society, AOS, in 2015 and president of AOS for eight consecutive years. A national coordinator for Albania for International Waterbird Census. On behalf of the Wetlands International, member of the Technical Committee of the African-Eurasian Waterbird Agreement. Dr. Bino, um, if I continue, I'm quite sure that it'll take me longer to actually introduce who you are than the topics we chose to have for our discussion today. So I would rather actually focus on the topics, um, make sure that they're, um, um, uh, they're kept short, clear, but yet very interesting for our audience, who I'm sure is very keen to listen to the very end of our discussion, all we have to say today. Uh, allow me just uh, for the sake of the conversation to remind the two of us, ourselves, and to share with the audience that beautiful trip of ours several years ago in the south part of the country when I, for the first time, received information about um, nesting places of white stork in the southern part of Albania. Amazing experience for everyone, including myself. Um, I'm an amateur when it comes to birds, but I love them. So that said, um, I will briefly, uh, with your permission, uh, introduce our audience to uh, today's topics and then, of course, uh, um, uh, pass the word to you to touch upon some of those important points and discuss together as much as we can 
um, why um, CSOs are important, uh, how they actually began to take shape in the 1990s, um, why they're so important when it comes to na nature protection and wildlife conservation in Albania, what is the evolution in their attitude of the public when it comes to engaging with CSOs, volunteering, etc., how AOS, and that's another uh, important aspect of our discussion today, um, uh, managed to organize recently an excellent public forum uh, on the protection of protected areas. And I, I would like to know more about that. Um, how difficult it is to engage the community nowadays in our country and knowing where we come from and knowing all the um, transition, uh, many years of transition um, have uh, elapsed since the 1990s and how that is reflected into the um, um, daily discussion when it comes to engaging communities. Um, and also from your personal experience, and that would be perhaps the last important topic to discuss to get together today, uh, which would be some of the best practices when it comes to nature conservation in Albania and what AOS does and what you guys do there. And I know you're a passionate group of experts. Um, pretty much, you never stay in your office. I've always seen you outside your office, but you need to go back to your office and compile all the data that you gather and um, inform thus uh, the public and uh, other partners um, uh, on the European scale, but also worldwide. So um, let me just touch on the first topic. Um, go, let's say, uh, through two or three small questions and just try to frame this conversation together and then uh, allow you to actually say your uh, kind um, um, uh, thoughts, share with us, uh, or even ask questions if needs be. Um, May I just make a short intervention because uh, it's, a, it's a discussion among friends, let's say. I too remember the trip in southern part of Albania looking at the nest of the white stork and i even remember the discussion about uh, six breeding pairs of white storks three of them in the high voltage power lines That's and correct. three others in churches and i said to you at the in, time in the that bell towers of churches yeah 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 That's correct. and i said to you at the time that it shows that human disturbance might be an issue because churches are protected by god and uh, the other nests are protected by high, high voltage that's and correct. I, I <laughs> very well remember that. And it, it, it goes on as such. But it's, it's a pleasure to, for me to discuss with you. We've been together and we've been discussing several times and I'm pretty sure today will be a nice discussion. Thank you, Tauland. It's uh, actually highly appreciated all the, the discussion that we had in the South and the, the, the introdu introduction. Uh, and I hope we have more experience in the North. You know? oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the introduction you gave me to the Wise Stork actually has served me to uh, guide uh, through the southern part of the country. Uh, lots of foreigners interested in um, uh, bird watching, but also understanding better uh, the area and uh, by showing them um, this potential um, and uh, actually using some of the wording you actually used that time with me, uh, the, the interest has gone high up. So uh, I, I can tell that the more you guys find, the more you share with the public and us, it's actually beneficial for everyone. Yeah. So uh, let me uh, bug you with some of my uh, questions for today and uh, spark this conversation and uh, give it a heads up. What is this concept of CSOs um, uh, from the 1990s, uh, Tauland? Uh, what happened after the collapse of communism in our country and um, uh, what is happening through those 30 plus years of the democratic system? What were the main challenges uh, of CSOs contributing 
in the field of environment and nature conservation? And what do you see um, as a major difference with today's challenges? What can you share with us and the audience? Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's indeed a very uh, much different picture uh, compared with today. But nevertheless, some of the main uh, environmental issues remain as such. But uh, people will should never forget Albania 30 years ago. It was completely, completely different in terms of economics and everything else. Uh, so if we talk about environmental uh, organizations at that time, we should understand also what were the main environmental uh, problematics of, of the era. And I believe in the 90s, uh, we came from a different system which had no knowledge about uh, civil society organizations. Everything were for, was forbidden before the 90s. Well, and uh, after the 90s, we, we changed it completely different to uh, topics. Uh, and people were fighting for survival. Albania was the last communist country of Europe, very, very poor. That's correct. And people were fighting for survival. So the main issues were mostly towards economic survival rather than environment. Nevertheless, when you have poverty, you have also environmental issues, huge environmental issues, because they are strongly related. And there was immediately too much pressure upon nature resources. Uh, maybe not in a form, organized form, in terms of uh, enterprises, corporates, etc., but pressure was everywhere. And I could uh, see with my own eyes that there, was, there were huge problems in... Um, in uh, in cutting trees, but not not cutting trees. What is called in English, it's uh, in logging, yeah, illegal logging, let's say, and also in poaching, poaching which which is illegal hunting. Let's and it say it became rather extensive, right? It became rather extensive because people were trying to take resources from nature and bring them at home, in a way or another, choosing these so way. firewood or selling wood, etc. So there was a huge pressure on habitats because there was a vacuum from the uh, dictatorship to another society. Institutions were not really functional and uh, there was a vacuum of uh, institutional authority so people exploited that and there was poverty in the middle. So problematic environmental, uh, environmental problematic at the time was different. The main issues was uh, the main issues at the, t at the air were uh, logging, illegal logging, and and poaching. That's mm. what I see, and somehow the civil society organizations have to uh, to take the shape of the uh, of the uh, of the of the situation. Mm, nevertheless, this was not a uh, bottom-up approach; it was a top-down approach as in many cases, as in many countries. So some uh, people, may, maybe professors from university, they thought about developing their own groups with uh, environmental NGOs. They started creating different environmental NGOs. So the first ones were of 91 or 92, if I'm not, uh, if I'm not wrong. And they were uh, rather generalists, so covering every topic in the environment rather than specific, because there were too many, too many issues. I understand. So at the time, that was the, the let's say, the situation of uh, environmental civil society organizations. Then they, with 
uh, with time they started to focus even more on problematic uh, environmental issues and now we can say that some of them are really highly specialized as it is the case of the Albanian Ornithological Society that I represent. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we will be able to touch upon AOS and um, the activities they organize and uh, the focus um, they have been uh, placing in the um, study. But uh, somehow this this question has connections also with the role of the public, etc. Because uh, we should understand that Albania was not only the last communist country in Europe, but it was also very different from the other communist countries uh, of Europe. So there is no comparison between Albania and Bulgaria, Albania and uh, Hungary, or etc., the Eastern Bloc. We were somehow outside of every everything. Yeah. And we have a quite a specific experience. Yeah, that's uh, we were kind of disattached from a- every initiative that um, uh, took place in those uh, neighboring, relatively speaking, countries or the Eastern Bloc. And although we were part of the Eastern Bloc, we were not part of the Eastern Bloc when it comes yep. to uh, experiences like this. Um, what if I would ask and say when it comes to wildlife conservation in Albania, nature protection, how important are those CSOs that we're, we're touching upon today? In your opinion, uh, Taulant, um, which you would recall as being the most important achievements of CSOs in conservation during the last 30 years? I mean, you rightly put forward um, the uh, information that yes, uh, some CSOs have managed to specialize themselves and they're dealing um, at great length with specific uh, issues that uh, uh, wildlife conservation um, has in the country. But in your opinion, what would be um, the, the best or the maximum achievement that those CSOs have achieved so far uh, when it comes to this change of regime, but also concepts, uh, also public engagement, which we will be discussing later on again? Well, some, if I'm not wrong, some 10 or 15 years ago, I was engaged in a kind of uh, consultancy with the UNDP Albania regarding the evolution of uh, uh, civil society organizations in, in Albania in the field of environment. And at that time, I registered some 120 environmental NGOs, mostly most of them based in Tirana. And the... Uh, what I... Yeah, at that time. So now it might be even higher, maybe the double. But most of them were concentrated in Tirana. I like those three-digit numbers. Yeah, Uh, most of them were concentrated in in Tirana, although they were focusing their work outside of of Tirana. And the general characteristic was that they were not really specialized. They were covering different topics in environments. Generally. So they were more more budget-driven rather than problematic uh, problematic driven I see. now it, it has changed changed a bit uh, during those years there has been a, also a great evolution of uh, civil society organizations um, in terms of public uh, involvement in terms of uh, specialization of, of NGOs but I and I can say that also it's a kind of situation similar with other Balkan countries mm. uh, where there is a vacuum of institutional 
coverage sometimes of different topics and therefore NGOs explore that vacuum for creating their own niche and in some topics they have become much more specialized than uh, public institutions and they know more than public institutions sometimes they uh, have become the advisors of the public institutions and this is something good you don't find it in the west because uh, there is a strong bureaucracy institutions has a long history etc but in the east you have a lot of times where ngos play a great role because they they somehow lobby with the government towards policies uh, on environmental protection or nature protection and since they have more expertise they can influence the the decision making so you're saying that some uh, cso's have better databases on specific topics than yeah, what for the sure. government has for for sure for sure so for instance in our case we have uh, data on on birds since uh, since the beginning of 1992 uh, which that which kind which of is, data is lacking it's, from it's, state owned so institutions so 30 right? years and institutions are lacking those data although we share with them the, the data yeah, but the nevertheless the knowledge it's some uh, there is more knowledge among the ngos in terms of expertise so even the analysis of such data, it's not such an easy thing. Usually it's done by, by NGOs. So NGOs, in terms of expertise, now have a very much stronger role. In, and in, especially in nature protection, most of expertise is in the NGOs. Excellent. Yeah, that sounds like the bottom-up approach and which bridging is, the gap. Which between, is good, yeah. but, but uh, on the other hand, you need public institutions to understand the issues. And be strong enough. And uh, be strong enough to promote the policies, uh, environmental protection policies, etc. Yeah. So it's good and bad. Yeah. But uh, in, in terms of expertise, NGOs have, uh, have provided a, a large expertise and they represent Albania in, in, in different uh, topics elsewhere also, not only in Albania. Uh, so they have increased their capacity, sometimes more than institutions. And they have supported the uh, strengthening of capacities and uh, in also in public institutions. For instance, expertise from NGOs have been involved in training in, of uh, administration that covers environment in general, but nature protection, let's focus on nature protection. So, for instance, we have been engaged in training members of the Agency for Protected Areas in uh, monitoring, uh, identification of species, monitoring, etc. NGOs have been very much uh, uh, at the at the loop of uh, uh, environmental awareness uh, by contributing towards environmental awareness. For instance, in Diviaka, we have more than 30 years of experience working with Dalmatian pelican. And by being there, working almost every day or just having a coffee somewhere just in the area, people know that those are the guys working for the pelicans, for Dalmatian pelicans. And this is uh, for, for sure somehow supporting the environmental awareness. And what yeah. if we have some achievements, sometimes they are part of this uh, environmental awareness that have taken a long way to, 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 to come. Constant and attention this is, to, to... And this is a do. contribution of, of NGOs, uh, quite a great contribution, not only NGOs, the society in general, but NGOs have been rather specific on this. And uh, I could say also that today we are facing the issue of uh, protected areas. We will discuss perhaps later on this. But uh, we are discussing our protected areas because there are protected areas. And if there are protected areas, they have been designated due to the information being provided by NGOs. 
for instance, data on birds, importance of a certain area in terms of national importance, international importance on birds. Those come from NGOs. This kind of information comes from NGOs. Somehow the pressure, sometimes the pressure comes from the NGOs. And if I would consider a great achievement of NGOs, even though uh, there are problems, I would say the designation of uh, protected areas either at national level or international level. Ramsar sites at international level, uh, important bird areas, uh, key biodiversity Na- areas, etc. So. Yeah. So if I may uh, try to make a list, I would say public awareness, uh, strengthening of capacities, raising and strengthening capacities, and as well as uh, providing data for uh, for wildlife in general in Albania, for nature protection in, in Albania, and designation of protected areas. Definitely, these are some of the most, uh, let's say, crucial uh, pillars uh, when it comes to the, the importance of the CSOs uh, regarding nature protection and wildlife conservation. Um, and you mentioned, rightly so, the um, awareness raising and the, the meetings with local population and uh, interested parties, let's say, uh, in your job, in your daily uh, job. And what is this? Have you seen an evolution uh, regarding the public? And this will be my, my third topic for our discussion uh, when it comes to engaging with CSOs, uh, volunteering especially. Uh, can you touch upon that? I think it's an important uh, let's not confuse that with volunteering before the 1990s, right? You will make a distinction what volunteering yeah, yeah. means today and what... <laughs> because I know there is uh, young audiences perhaps following yeah, yeah, us yeah, yeah. and they're, they're interested in what we're discussing, but please make sure you distinguish between what volunteering today in what you do is good and why it's healthy and why you want more and more, not just youngsters, but everyone and all ages are invited to, to contribute yep. and volunteer. And... Why is this important for the environment and nature conservation? I mean, we talk about those topics, we touch upon those topics. Our little ones at school learn about them, but is that enough? Um, that's something uh, you can touch upon in your in your discussion. And is lack of public trust um, and support a persisting issue? And I, I think you, you, you wanted to, to say something about that. You spoke about public institutions but how important it is to have strong public institutions and this public trust in the overall um, discussion we're having about environment and nature protection? Uh, please, Taulian, you can you can choose which answers yeah. uh, you can give us, but also which questions you want to, to target. But it would be nice to have this uh, discussion in whichever way, simple way you want, in the most simple words uh, you can choose just to make sure uh, everyone interested and uh, willing to contribute and understand this field can actually be part of this discussion today. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to make the, the comparison between Albania before the 90s and after after the 90s. And I even remember one day when I was lecturing at Polish University, we were talking about environmental policy, etc. But we are in a different area. And outside it was December, and it was somehow the anniversary of uh, student movements of uh, of the nineties, early nineties. And I, by seeing those pictures at the at the hall of Polish University, I said to my students, "It's better to stop now that discussion on environmental policies and let let's look outside to not forget the past, because it's very important to 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 think about the past. Some of them have raised under a new regime, and maybe they will forget what what was about." And uh, that kind of regime has also its influence on the, uh, the behavior of people towards environment. And the perception. Yeah. 
towards environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. For instance, uh, I feel that people are nostalgic about the period of Enver Hoxha because there was rule of state. It indeed was dictatorship. Um, there were no major environmental issues. Only those done by the by the state himself, not by the by the public at large. Uh, and after the 90s, they changed, they changed completely. So even the uh, involvement of people in the NGOs was quite, quite different. And I had also once a, a quite an, an interesting discussion about the uh, involvement of public uh, in other Eastern European countries in order to compare it with, with Albania. Because usually NGOs are small in Albania, uh, just very few of them are membership-based. AOS is a membership-based association, and there are usually difficulties in engaging uh, people becoming members. Uh, but that is quite different from Western European countries for sure, but even in Eastern European countries there is such a kind of uh, uh, problem. I found that Hungary was quite different because in the communist area, Although they were not in a such strict dictatorship as in Albania, they, they had the possibility to join the environmental organizations. And since those were the few free, uh, uh, let's say, places where they can connect with each other, somehow this allows to increase the interest of people in such uh, organizations and the interest of nature. Albania was totally different from that. Yeah, that's true. There were trade unions, they were totally organized, uh, controlled, etc. And more than several people yeah. together would be considered hostile yeah, yeah. activities. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the Hungarians found a way how to get together yeah, yeah, yeah. and express even their, let's yeah. say, political views internally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, uh, true. We did not find that way. Yeah, so, yeah, we we yeah. did that that, that, that that kind of past. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. But uh, we we uh, we were quite different, and this is somehow related with the first topic. At the very beginning, people were very much uh, concerned about this survival, and they were not thinking a lot about environment. So in the 90s, it was very difficult to engage people in, in uh, let's say, let's say uh, willingly to, to, to nature protection. That's why it was a top-down approach rather than bottom-up uh, approach. Uh, but with the years, Somehow, Albania is not comparable with 30 years ago. It's quite a different country now. And even in terms of democracy, we will always, always say that uh, there are uh, obstacles, but democracy is progressing. And somehow, even the younger people are becoming... Uh, even in pro uh, education programs in schools are somehow focusing uh, young people in environment. And there is a, a higher interest. Although this higher interest, it's uh, somehow interrupted by economic policies, etc. Uh, but nevertheless, we saw in the last, especially in the last 10 years, quite uh, an engagement from young people towards uh, environmental conservation. And let's say about uh, volunteering. And they are participating in a lot of activities. They are much, um, much more interested in, in outdoor activities. They come for fun, but they gain an experience. And we see that in the last years, there is a kind of development towards that. When I'm saying, I, I said on purpose in the last 10 years, not about the last two years, because in the last two years, due to that uh, the drain of uh, brain drain, let's say in Albania, we are losing capacities. But somehow, up to two years ago, there was a great interest in, towards environmental protection in Albania. It still is, but not as, as such as uh, the peak was just, uh, let's say, two or three years, uh, three years ago. 
Um, so with young people, educated people, it was easy to, to connect. It was more, it is more difficult with local communities. But with local communities, we, you need to be persistent. And persistence means that somehow an organization should make an area its own area, being present there almost every every week, let's say. It's impossible to be every day, but every week. And show the local community the benefit yeah. of protecting, yeah. promoting, uh, properly presenting the values of a, uh, of their given community, let's say, and then and the natural habitat. Yeah, but, but you can't do that with just a, a, a lecture in a school. You need to no, do it... that's not enough. ...in many, many, many years' time. and uh, Several I've, generations. Several generations, and I've... Yeah, I looked sometimes, some, some, sometimes ago, I looked at the pictures uh, taken in Divyaka in the 90s. I saw myself 20 years ago, young and beautiful. <laughs> 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 nevertheless, uh, nevertheless, I saw young people that maybe I will never remember them, but, but I, today, it somehow yeah. shows to me that we started the uh, public awareness activities some 20 years ago. And when you go now in Divyaka, you see that the uh, round points, the, the indels of Divyaka, there are two or three pelicans on even four, which means that somehow the municipality took the pelicans and their own symbol. And this yeah. does not come easily. It shows that somehow the opinion there grew up saying that pelicans are our symbols and somehow they have to protect their, their, their symbols. And this is the power of uh, sharing and, yeah, the, and the inclusion. It takes a lot of time and you should be present there. So it's not easy. It's only done through persistence, being there in the area. Uh, that's why we're lucky to have you today, because otherwise you would be in the Vyaka Gravasta, <laughs> most probably working. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's say. But I work a lot in the office, uh, contrary to the opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I, show, I show to people just my best part of my life, being outside, but uh, I spend a lot of time yeah, in the office so too. So it's like those Instagram photos, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you mentioned something uh, regarding uh, uh, Tauland, regarding the inclusion of young generation. And I was personally with you and uh, the AOS team on the uh, Waterbird census. Mm -hmm. And I saw passionate enthusiastic youngsters willing to undergo the freezing morning temperatures and the lengthy walks or drives uh, around uh, personally uh, Divyaka um, and willing to understand, learn, count um, and be part of the initiative. Do you think we're going to have in several years time the peak moment of two or three years ago? Do you think is a positive trend still regard, regarding this brain drain you mentioned, which I'm very well aware? Do you think still keeping close enough around AOS, but also either CSOs, this still very energetic group of young people, can we still go back to those peak numbers of engagement, public engagement and understanding? Yeah, but I just hope that it will change definitely <laughs> that's what i wanted to hear being hopeful because that's uh, part of uh, what you do every day with yeah, your team yeah yeah but we we keep keep trying uh, what you have seen indeed it's part of our uh, efforts since many years now to increase the capacities in bird identification which is not only bird identification because we organize courses which are quite long courses some 5 6 months and students are with us in the field for every two, two weeks and they spend a lot of time. At the very beginning, they spend a few hours and they think, what are those uh, 
people telling about birds, bird songs, bird calls, uh, bird images, etc. But slowly, slowly they start understanding. And I've seen a kind of evolution even with our students in the courses. I see. At first they were talking about everything. At the end of the course they were talking only about birds, which is sometimes not a great achievement because there are a lot of possibilities in life, not, not only birds. But somehow I saw a kind of evolution in their, in their spirit which is quite good because make them really focus on birds, but birds are everything, are protected areas, are nature conservation in, in, in itself. So this is part of our efforts to increase the capacities uh, in bird watching, bird identification, bird protection, and this means birds are everywhere, so you protect the environment every, everywhere. Birds are in urban areas, are in countryside, every, everywhere. This, everywhere we see, we see, we see birds. This is a contribution also, a solid contribution to the um, upgrading of the professional aspect of uh, uh, national bird watchers and um, uh, people who are equipped with all the knowledge to serve as official um, national um, certified tour guides just about bird watching, so let's not exclude that also as a contribution because yeah. uh, a professional approach, as you mentioned, is very good to the um, upgrading of all these um, uh, number of individuals who are willing to travel around the country, show others uh, the beauties of the country, but also focus on bird watching. Of course, experts can do that at all times, and they do it, and they've always done it. It's good that those experts also are uh, the leading uh, force uh, regarding the formation and the, the correct formation of those who are going to serve as the um, uh, facilitators regarding bird watching in the country. Yep. Uh, for instance, when we go in areas, either through this course or different activities, we talk about birds, but we talk also the problems that birds are facing. And you can't, for instance, go in Škodra and do not talk about urban uh, pollution or urban development. You can't go to Divyaka and talk about the threats that the ecosystem were facing with uh, Divyak Resort, Albania, uh, a kind of problematic uh, pro proposition that came by, by private uh, enterprise. You can't go to Narta and do not talk about the problems that birds will face with the uh, airport of Lora. So everywhere we go, we, we talk about birds, but we talk about nature conservation. And I think this is quite a, a, a great contribution because it creates a kind of generation uh, that is thoughtful about environment, that is uh, interested in the environmental importance of the air, and it's quite uh, feels about environment. And this ties in, Taulan, very well with uh, the fourth topic I've chosen for our discussion today regarding AOS and the recent public forum on the protection of protected areas. Um, what are the challenges today about protected areas? You mentioned some. Perhaps we can go over some of the most important aspects. Uh, what are some of the steps taken by uh, uh, NGOs in advocating for the preservation of the ecological uh, integrity of protected areas? Share with us. I'm very keen to hear myself. Yep, uh, indeed, it's, uh, it looks a bit uh, funny to talk about protection of protected areas. Because when you say protected areas, means that they are protected by law. And if there is a law for their protection, why should they be threatened? 
And why should we focus on their protection? But as you know, we never take things for granted. That's yeah. why <laughs> we ask the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And indeed, there is a huge pressure in last years upon protected areas, especially the coastal area, because the coastal area is the main economics uh, area for Albania. In, it's easy in terms of infrastructure, so it's easy to make investments there rather than in the mountainous area where access is quite difficult, etc. So I've seen in the last 10 years a huge pressure upon protected areas at the coast, or let's say wetland protected, protected areas. And up to now, this was somehow a pressure, everyday pressure. But some two years ago, we started to see that the Albanian government was intervening by reducing the size of protected coastal protected areas. That would allow for sure for uh, unsustainable developments inside the protected areas. Uh, it's of interest, I think, for those people that hear us that uh, major the major to know that that major strategic investments in Albania are exactly focused on uh, on pr coastal protected areas. I see. So let's say. Uh, uh, Tourism developments, uh, airports, uh, real estate, real, right? yeah, real estates, energy infrastructure, roads. Uh, although, perhaps. although solar energy, it's a renewable, etc. Still, it occupies a certain habitat, and there is a pressure upon protected areas. So, it's nothing wrong against such developments outside of protected areas, but inside protected areas, it's, it makes no sense because they somehow attack the ecological integrity of protected areas, and they. Uh, grab one part here one part there and so if we put all them together in a, and, and consider the cumulative effects of every kind of activity then we might have a, quite a different picture in the in the future if we don't try to defend I understand. now that's why we organized the forum because there have been two decisions uh, from the albanian government at the uh, early 2022 where they reduce the size of uh, coastal protected areas. And we are sure that this will allow for further developments, un unsustainable developments in protected areas. Uh, and we have those been, yeah. uh, uh, areas are mostly focused in the north or western part of the country, northwest? It's, it's or western part of the country, but I can, can go more in details. For instance, Skodra Lake has been, uh, the protected areas of Skodra Lake has been reduced by, let's say, 1,700 hectares. And that comes for uh, an obvious reason? 10, or 10%. Um, what are the general reasons behind the reducing? Yeah, sometimes, Since you mentioned yeah, the reducing yeah. of the sizes well, uh, of the protected the, areas. The opinion from the um, Agency for Protected Areas were that those areas are useless because they are used for agriculture. Okay. And some in some other parts, there have been already urban developments. So if there are urban developments, we can't protect them anymore. So let's give it to further urban development. I see. Uh, so it depends on it depends on on the area. But okay. although the government is saying that those areas are useless, we have evidences that show that those areas, although not natural habitats anymore, but modified habitats, they are quite important for for wildlife. Because Perhaps they serve as buffer zone between the already uh, untouched and pristine part of the protected it's areas. It's not only a buffer zone, for sure it is, but it's also the way the, the traditional economy has been developed in, in Albania. 
For instance, if we go to Škodra, we see that we have medicinal plants or uh, how uh, how say how was called these plants at Vajore or producing so uh, perfumes and perfumes etc. Yes, and this is not a very intensive uh, exploitation. It's kind of extensive exploitation, and somehow nature tolerates this because it's no intensity. And if you look at Albania in general, every country in the world it's done by human involvements. We don't live in a pristine habitat without humans. We live in a habitat where humans have, uh, you know, better than me that humans are <laughs> have their own uh, track record. My experience yeah. with the past is yeah, rather yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. That's correct. <laughs> I think so, yeah. So humans have a track record everywhere. And if we see birds and uh, nature today, we see because of this interaction. In the moment you change this interaction, you go from uh, extensive ag- uh, activities to intensive ag- activities, then you change it completely. And there is no place for wildlife. For instance, in the areas of Škoda, we have identified that there are a lot of species that use this part of agricultural land for finding food, uh, some of them breeding there, etc. And we are showing to the government that this is, those areas are important. I understand. And it's the same story That's with, with example, other, yeah. it's the same story with other other areas. For instance, in, in Kunevain, let's say a, a protected area, a part of the uh, of the reed bed is now uh, it's been excluded from the protected areas. It has been filled already with construction material that will allow for uh, tourism development, um, perhaps huge resorts, which in turn will uh, and damage this is, the balance. It, it for sure it uh, it influences the balance, but it fragments the. The habitat, it, uh, uh, it goes against the connection of, of habitats and, and species. It creates a kind of barrier effect, human pressure, etc. And it could spread even even further and could put the uh, protected area itself, the, the remaining part of protected is under huge pressure. It's the same story in Divyaka Karavasta, it's the same story in Butrin, the same story in, uh, in, in Yos Narta, etc. Et I understand. And we see that as a huge issue, the major issue in nature conservation last 10, 10 years. And that's why we are totally involved in that. But not alone as an NGO. We are in a coalition with uh, some 50 other Albanian yeah. NGOs. It's exactly this public forum yeah. that involved yeah. this you know, huge energy of uh, uh, NGOs, but also the interested uh, public and all those who advocate for the uh, nature conservation. And we, as you have noticed, we had representatives from all over the world and institutions. It shows that although Albania is a small country, uh, its geographical position is quite interesting. I remember that during communist time we were saying that we are the jewel of uh, of Europe, we are the center of it. But somehow we are at the Adriatic flyway. It's a a crossroad. It's a crossroad and uh, due to that lack of uh, economic, huge intensive economic development in the past, we have somehow uh, uh, protected our coastal area. It has still a nature uh, character. And that's why, although being a small part of it is quite important for uh, for birds that migrate south or migrate north, or even other other animals, and that's why we are fighting. When we fight for them, we do not fight only for protected areas of Albania. We fight for thousands of species and uh, thousands of animals and millions of animals uh, for 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 Europe, and that's why. 
due to that importance, they are designated not only as national protected areas, but also as right. international sites, international. important bird areas, Ramsar sites, etc. And we, we, we see that there's such a huge economic pressure might threaten their ecological integrity, and we are against this, and we are already in the court. Today I was in a court session. Uh, we have two law suites for, uh, uh, against the governmental decisions. And uh, today we discuss for nature managed reserves and also national national parks. And we remain hopeful that we will win this kind of uh, battle because it's a, just a battle, it's not a war. War itself is a gaze, it takes much longer and I don't think it will finish with me. It will go on forever. Yeah, but uh, there are various sayings of famous generals who say that uh, winning a battle does not mean you won the war, but on the contrary, winning a battle gives you hopes of winning a lengthy war. So I hope you are um, in good terms with the judiciary regarding those two lawsuits, and uh, please you will make sure you share with us later on uh, whatever outcomes you have from uh, those actions. Um, very civic and responsible actions you're taking. And uh, may I just, um, um, with your permission, Tauland, try to touch upon again, just briefly, on the local communities. It's a very important aspect. I myself work in another um, uh, uh, field, but still I touch on the local communities. I, we talk to them in our job. And positive attitudes towards na nature conservation, why it's important for the, these communities to invest on them in the success of conservation efforts. You mentioned some of the aspects. You said of those early moments uh, 20 years ago when, when you were young and uh, you still uh, um, uh, look at those moments very positively. And you see still today uh, lots of uh, people from the local communities are still interested and you though need to strive hard to actually keep their attention there and to show them uh, the benefit of uh, nature conservation. Can you share some of your thoughts? Yeah, thank you. In, indeed, this is quite a, uh, an important topic, but very, very difficult. Sometimes it's very extremely difficult uh, because usually communities think about uh, short-term uh, um, short uh, benefits or, yeah, short or term, results. Yeah. Short-term results, short-term benefits. And nature conservation shows its results quite slowly. Yeah. So it takes time. It's a long-term process. It takes time. So if we have not fought for Diviaca Caravasta, we might have a, another Duras or Golem area with large buildings, etc., which it might be interesting in the very first year, but slowly it has lost its interest. And even the properties have lost their, their own value. As you know, now in the area of Duras, there are apartments, their, their price have been has fallen quite quite uh, quite low nobody's interested to buy them anymore and we lost not only environment but we lost also properties somehow and especially in the southern part of Duras we lost the the, the yeah. historical landscapes of the various engagements between Caesar and Pompey over 2000 years ago apart from nature yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and indeed this is the same story with for Divya Caravasa so if NGOs were not there to fight for we might have a quite a different picture in, in the area. We, we might have a new development, a new city, uh, which is somehow putting, uh, uh, it's, uh, which is, we would have taken on my opinion, not only my opinion, but also the NGO in general, uh, would have taken the interest from Divyaka as an urban area towards the seaside. And at that time, I, we tried to, to explain to the local community that 
if we have a new development, your village will be, or the city of Diviaco will be just a ghost city because people will pass through it, we will never explore its resources, they will go to the beach immediately. Nevertheless, for communities, they were interested in short-term benefit and they were saying that there are, uh, there will be open places, so uh, they, they, we have, we will find job there. Uh, and it might be, might be true, but we have bad examples and we try to convince them that there are bad examples already for that, where there is just a seasonal involvement, not every year involvement, etc. And uh, so the benefits are, are not there, we are losing rather than gaining. Nevertheless, it's quite quite difficult to, to explain that uh, to local communities. I s could say that we have also experience with, uh, with the uh, advocacy campaigns of NGOs for hydropowers. Sometimes there the local communities are much more involved because they are seeing that a part of their land will be flooded and they will lose lose right. agriculture. So they have a direct connection to the The direct connection. In other cases, it's quite difficult to, to, to say, to talk about this direct connection. So, for instance, to explain people that you should protect the pelican uh, in order to to increase your economic prosperity, it's it's quite difficult. We have achieved some of that because now the number of tourists is increasing. Viva Caravasa is a major area. People come, they use the restaurants, so they, they use not only nature, but also the, the economic chain over there. But if we talk about a, a little turn species and say this is important, it's, it's quite difficult. Nevertheless, I said in the very beginning, you should be in the area, you should be persistent and try always with them and use every, every opportunity to, con to convince them. It's not an easy uh, it's not an easy game. It's, it should go on forever. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite difficult. But I'm sure that with the um, um, young generation of uh, experts, uh, which I've seen personally and know personally for a long time now, there will be, uh, there will be some green light at the end of the tunnel. I'm, I'm quite sure. Uh, I'm already visioning it and seeing it, but I'm sure that it will work out. And exactly... At this uh, point in time, uh, I would like to uh, throw in for discussion perhaps my last few uh, questions for today's discussion and uh, from a pers personal uh, perspective and experience. What would be some of the best practices when it comes to nature conservation in Albania and what is the direct contribution of AOS in nature conservation in Albania? Perhaps this is the moment to mention whatever we did not <laughs> discuss today in our uh, beautiful talk. Thank you. Uh, well, we we touched upon the uh, major contributions. We might touch them again. Uh, I somehow feel proud that I'm part of the Albanian Ornithological Society. We think that we played a role, uh, especially uh, in towards uh, nature conservation in Albania, because we are an NGO being founded in 2015, but rather focused. We are focused on protection of birds and their critical habitats. But when we say this, we are covering almost everything because as I said in the very beginning, birds are everywhere. So birds are in an urban area, they, they need a kind of uh, intensive, uh, uh, they need extensive exploitation of resources in order to, to survive. And we fight for that. And if we are in the countryside, we, are, uh, we talk about birds, we talk about agriculture plot that allow this diversity. We talk about uh, lagoons that have fish and they allow for uh, water birds feeding there, etc. 
So talking about birth, you means you talk about everything. It, it's not so. It looks specific, but it's uh, it rather covers it covers a rather large uh, uh, area of uh, in intervention. And we were founded in 2015 by a group of enthusiast people. And immediately, I could say that we had an impact about, upon the uh, public awareness on birds. We tried. We started by showing people the importance of Albania in terms of birds. That uh, was somehow known for the outside world, but inside Albania, people were not very much known. We were innovative in our approach, trying to link uh, the classical uh, monitoring and research with. Uh, with public involvement, for instance, through art. We started some ideas at that time through art. We invited people to sketch in uh, in different lagoon areas. They started sketching birds, etc. And I think by this innovative approach uh, and being present also in the media, we were somehow uh, contributing towards uh, conservation of birds and uh, and the conservation of general uh, nature in, in, in general. But we are an NGO not only focused on art and birds, we are focused on bird species, on habitats, and uh, our recent battle for protected areas shows that we have quite a kind of uh, uh, strong influence on policies. Uh, we are uh, policy-driven, legislation-driven, uh, lobbying-driven, advocacy-driven. So I, I think that as an NGO, we have been providing uh, quite a Good contribution towards nature conservation in Albania, but we are not alone. For sure, we are with other with other NGOs uh, in that uh, that kind of uh, endeavor. But uh, coming back to to the contributions of the NGOs, uh, without not without forgetting the today contributions for the protection of protected areas, protection of species. For instance, we talked about the Dalmatian pelican. It's not the only one. We talked about the white stork. It's not the only one. We talk about water birds in general all over. We talk about the areas of importance for water birds. We talk about the... Uh, recently, we talk about the Egyptian vulture. I told you that how challenging species it is, but what kind of pleasure it gives you in the, in, in the field. So we are involved in uh, programs in protecting species and protecting protection of habitats. And somehow we are, we are playing a role, and we try to involve in our uh, uh, in, in our work also other NGOs uh, and uh, create synergies with them as we have created in the kind of uh, campaign for protected areas and low suites for protected protected areas. So I I might say that without f forgetting those uh, uh, current contributions, we should say that NGOs have. Uh, have been quite active in designating protected areas that are somehow the basis for protection of uh, environment in, in Albania today. Public awareness, it's uh, quite a great achievement and it should go on for sure. And also increasing the institutional capacities, it's quite also an achievement of NGOs. Increasing capacities in general in, um, in education because it uh, kind of creates a kind of generation that is able to know nature and maybe contribute for a better nature. And I would say it's a step-by-step -step process. And yeah. uh, through this discussion of ours today, we went through some of the most important pillars, which I mentioned at the very beginning in, the, in my short uh, introduction. Um, I would like to say thank you, uh, Taulan, for your time, uh, your opinions, um, 
your um, thoughtful comments, your concerns, um, hopes, and yes, hope, and being hopeful, I think, is what uh, keeps uh, this um, uh, work of yours and AOS, but also either other uh, partner um, uh, CSOs and individuals, uh, which are trying and striving all the time uh, regarding uh, nature conservation and environmental protection. Uh, also protected areas and so on. So um, thank you again for your uh, time and we will uh, meet again on uh, other podcasts uh, discussing uh, conservation in Albania, uh, not just the role of civil society organizations, but other uh, topics as, as well, which I think will uh, enlighten those who follow us and also the, uh, the public uh, understanding more about uh, nature conservation. So thank you very much. Thank you, and uh, next time we could talk about everything else other than birds. <laughs> Duly noted. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It was a great pleasure.